Hey everybody and welcome to Breaking Biotech. Thank you guys so much for being here with me today. My name is Matt and please like, subscribe, or leave me a comment. You can also follow me at, on Twitter at Matthew Lepoir. Uh, check out my uh, my hot takes on, on the Twitter. So yeah, number 38 guys, episode 38. We've made it this far and uh, we're going to keep powering along. Today I want to talk about marker therapeutics, which has made quite, uh, you know, quite an impact so far on the, the limited amount of data that they have. But they, uh, they have shown a lot over a lot of different diseases, put it that way. So I want to talk about them and uh, also talk about some updates from last week. So let's get into it. On the macro scale, I first wanted to touch on the news from China that we got regarding their GDP. So forecasted uh, was 6.3% and the actual was 6.4%. So they're up a little bit there, which... You know, it's I don't entirely trust data coming out of China given the state-run situation they have, but you know, it's you can't really use that as an as an excuse to not take the the figures seriously. So, you know, they're up a little bit in their GDP and up a little bit more in their industrial production year over year. So, it seems like the Chinese uh, economy is still moving on all cylinders. So that's uh, that's good news anyway for for those of us long equities. And I know I keep saying that, but, uh, you know, once the data does start shifting, then that narrative is going to change eventually. Um, and in the U.S. side, retail sales were up quite a bit. So, you know, for people who who think that the economy is slowing down in the U.S., you would think things like retail sales would slow down. Now, is this fueled by uh, credit creation? It's It's possible. We know that wage growth hasn't been that profound, but... People are still able to spend, and retail sales reflects that. So this is all good for uh, long equities right now. So I'm still hanging on, even though we uh, we saw quite a sell-off in the XBI and the uh, XLV last week, the healthcare sector ETF. So uh, to touch on that, I think the the two things that, that came to mind, so J&J reported or signaled weaker outlook in hospital utilization trends. So that was sort of a forward-looking thing. And uh, also the uh, the DNC, all these candidates are coming forward and starting to run for the nomination, Bernie being the one that's leading the polls and leading the fundraising. And he's been an outspoken advocate for uh, Medicare for All. And, you know, you can think of that what you want, but it does threaten private insurance companies. And with that, you know, affects everything to do with healthcare and uh, and pharmaceuticals. So... Uh, I think XBI closed, I mean, Friday it was like touching 82, and then it closed around like 83, 84, and today, again, it closed around 84. So, you know, it's maintaining in that area, but uh, I think there's a gap in the mid-70s that I would be mindful of if if things don't recover properly. So um, I've been buying the dip, and I, I've been tweeting about that, and we'll talk a little bit about it in the portfolio wrap-up, but um, yeah, that's uh, that's what's going on. Oh, and also, so there's a CNN town hall tonight. So, you know, for the next two years, we need to be very careful about these catalysts regarding politics because uh, for now it seems to be a big mover of these markets. And, you know, it might eventually start to to be less significant as we get closer. But, you know, important important primaries might be good catalysts to watch out for and, and not, you know, take a big position in any of the indices or any of the big uh, pharma companies. So just uh, things to be careful for. I also just wanted to touch on a Gilead Novo Nash collaboration that was in the news. So Gilead presented some data at a conference about their 
their FXR agonist and their ACC inhibitor, and they saw a good decrease in fat, and they saw that it was uh, effective in a lot of their patients, even though it was just a small patient pool. But I wanted to talk about this because um, when we're thinking about MNA in the sector, it doesn't look like Gilead or Novo are likely to be contenders for it, only because if they're going to do a collaboration here, you know, there's there's no reason why they, they might do some MNA in the sector. So, you know, they could if they want to take a big leap, then maybe they could also do some MNA, but this signals to me that it's not as likely. Um, Novo, of course, has this type 2 diabetes drug, semaglutide, which is a, an Extendin 4 analog that's long-acting, and it works very well for type 2 diabetes. So the combination of these three could be um, an impressive uh, candidate drug for, for NASH. So, so we'll see on that, but I uh, want to touch on that. And yeah, so the last thing I'm going to talk about is, uh, is marker therapeutics. So we're going to go a little deep into that. And before I do, I thought I would touch on immuno-oncology and CAR-T. So this is the latest trend in cancer. Been around for a while, though. It's not, it's not super novel. Everybody's heard of it. But just to give you guys a little bit of background, um, immuno-oncology really refers to the use of antibodies to block uh, checkpoint-related um, receptor antigen interactions. So cancers are very, uh, they're, they're interesting cells and they're, they come up with very creative ways to avoid the immune system. And one of these ways is to um, mess with the receptors on their cells so that they're not detected by normally circulating immune cells. So what smart people did is they figured out antibodies that could bind to these receptors on the cancer cells that allow the normal endogenous T cells to find them and, and kill them, essentially. So that's what um, Keytruda does, that's what Opdivo does, and there's there's other like ones related to other um, antigen antibody, antigen receptor pairs that exist. And there's a lot of these different checkpoint um, combinations that exist that other researchers are pursuing, but um, that's kind of what's going on with the immuno-oncology side. Another type of product related to that is CAR-T, which is chimeric antigen receptor T-cell. They're also doing this with NK cells. Basically, you take these T-cells out of a patient, you gene edit them to express your receptor of choice, and the favorite is CD19, which um, allows them to detect B-cells. And then your T-cells are able to attack these cancerous B-cells in the blood. So the indications for these approved therapies are the different B-cell lymphomas. And... Um, the, the drugs for that, Yaskarda is one of them, which is a kite product that was acquired by Gilead. Novartis has Kimraya, and uh, Juno is another company that was acquired by Celgene that is now Bristol-Myers, and that officially went through, and they have their own version of CAR-T, but there's a lot of these companies now popping up talking about all sorts of combinations of ways that you can create different T-cell uh, type uh, formulations that are going to help with cancer. And uh, the thing is, there's a lot of issues with the current treatment status quo. And uh, this is what Marker hopes to capitalize on. So these therapies are effective. They The objective response rate, I think, is like 80%. And this picture illustrates that. So this guy here in a PET scan, uh, all those black spots are, are cancerous cells. And you can see after treatment, a lot of them are gone. So it, uh, it definitely works. But uh, there's a lot of issues with it that... that um, are, are tough for the patient and tough for the company as well. 
and we'll, we'll talk about that now. So marketers hoping to capitalize on a lot of these issues with their novel system. So the, the big thing is that there's just tons of side effects associated with CAR-T. Um, cytokine release syndrome is in 93% of patients. Uh, 95% of patients had a, had a grade higher or equal to three adverse event. And 64% of them had a, any grade neurological event. So these are neurotoxic as well. So, you know, it's not without some negative things that come along with this, but it has been a good innovation in, in the space. So um, besides the side effects, there's things like antigen negative escape. And Marker really focuses on this because they're looking at five or more different antigens, whereas CAR-T, you're only looking at one. So what Marker is trying to do is rather than just looking at the CD19 that might be expressed, um, in cancer, in different cancers, the heterogeneity of the cancer means that some of these uh, antigen negative cells could escape your therapy unless you're able to target multiple different antigens. So that's what Marker is hoping to do. And uh, with antigen negative escape, there's a chance for relapse, which does happen sometimes with uh, CAR-T. Another downside to it are the processing issues. And one thing that I brought up is a, is a paper I read. I think it was a Kim Raya uh, patient. The researchers accidentally gene edited an abnormal cell, and this abnormal cell is what actually led to the patient's fatality. So these processing things are an annoyance that is a reality for the, for the product. Um, so this is a downside that, you know, marker... They're, they're able to overcome this a little bit without needing any gene editing, but they still have a significant processing um, that they need to follow in order to get their, their cells in the right state. So the other thing that they talk about is the uh, expense associated with it. These are very expensive for the company, and we can see that on the balance sheet, they're not making a ton of money off it. I think Yescarta, uh, you know, it's in the hundreds of millions per year, and it's still a expanding industry, and they're looking for more indications, but... It's, it's not like a, a huge blockbuster type drug yet. So, and that might come with time, but it is expensive right now. And it's uh, a lot of expense for the patient. It's a lot of time. They don't just take a drug. They got to go into multiple visits and be monitored a lot. So that's a lot of burden on the patient themselves. And also it takes some time to produce. So I think it takes three to four weeks after they effereze the cells out of the patient. And, uh, you know, that's a pain. So these three to four weeks, they need to get this whole process figured out for manufacturing so that they can take the cells out and gene edit them and get them QC'd and everything and ready to be put back in the patient. And this takes time and it's a burden on the whole the whole system. And the last downside I wanted to touch on is uh, the need for lymphodepletion and the treatment with immunosuppressive drugs. So because of the the problems associated with treatment, um, you need to treat patients with immunosuppressives that'll help with the cytokine release syndrome, and you also need to do these uh, lymphodepletion treatments to prepare the patients for uh, CAR-T treatment. And this is something that, you know, it, it goes with the cost and it goes with the pain of having to deal with being treated with CAR-T. And these are things that um, marker doesn't need to do. You don't need to do this with their treatment, supposedly. So that's another big benefit. All right. So with that, enter marker therapeutics. Market cap only two hundred fifty million, trading at five fifty one. This is dated. I was working on this on the weekend. I think they're trading uh, just above five bucks right now. And uh, Houston, Texas company. They 
you know the the origins of the company it's it's interesting they, this company was created last year and uh tap immune was acquired by them or merged with them so it was really just like a spin-off of tap immune when they were not able to continue their funding so a bit of a rebrand plus you know some some other products involved so the the major pipeline is these multi-antigen targeted t-cell therapies the contribution from Tapimmune is the are these T cell vaccines as well as Polystart, but the the big product that people have the most interest in are these multi-targeted T cell therapies, and for good reason. I think they have a, a larger application. The T cell vaccines are cool too, but um, yeah, we'll talk about it. Okay, so this is kind of a wall of text, but I think it's important because their their process is what gives them uh, a unique spin on regular thing on regular. CAR-T. So I'm just going to read this. Merker's unique manufacturing process selectively expands a range of naturally occurring, often extremely rare tumor-specific T-cells present in patients' blood that are able to recognize unique epitopes of up to five different tumor-associated antigens. So related to what I said before about CAR-T only targeting one antigen, uh, Marker wants to target more of them. And cancer is a heterogeneous disease. You don't usually get just cancer and healthy human tissue. These cancer cells, they, they, they have an evolution that leads to multiple different subpopulations that don't all express uniquely the same or uniformly the same amount of receptors or, or anything. So to be able to target multiple antigens is, is pretty important when it comes to preventing cancer and preventing relapse. Because, you know, all it takes usually is one cell to, to escape the treatment and then it, you know, it lies dormant, it hangs out in the body, and then 10 years later it finds a home and, and is able to reproduce the tumor and then you, leads to a relapse. So um, being able to recognize multiple epitopes is, an, is a big advantage. All right, let's move on. Importantly, Marker's T-cell therapies expand and activate patients' T-cells without genetic modification or need for lymphodepletion prior to infusion. This provides a substantial health and safety benefit. To date, markers, multi-therapies have caused no cases of cytokine release syndrome or serious adverse events versus up to 95% incidence rate of grade 3 or higher adverse events in recent CAR-T studies. So, uh, yeah, so this is big. So they don't need to gene modify the cells, which, you know, in my opinion, this isn't a huge deal because whether you gene modify the cells to activate them or you treat them with a bunch of cytokines to activate them, the end product is, you know, what we want is a functional T-cell that's going to attack the cancer. So this isn't a huge deal, although it does avoid the problem that that one patient had to deal with with the abnormal uh, cell being edited. Not needing lymph lymphodepletion is good too. It, it decreases costs and it's less of a burden for the patient. Uh, no cases of cytokine release syndrome or related serious adverse events, which is huge compared to CAR-T. So this is big. Um, I got to say, not having these side effects is definitely attractive to regulators and definitely attractive to patients. So they're, they're doing these studies in a lot of different cancers, mostly blood cancers, and they've decided their lead indication is going to be post-transplant AML. Um, this cartoon they have, very cute, but not, not a ton of information. Multi-TAA comes in with their different antigen recognizing ability and uh, attack the tumor and then they they do talk a lot about epitope spreading which is this idea that once you start to break the tumor and uh, lyse the cells the tumor cells it exposes a lot of antigens to the body which can then present those antigens on the cells 
the appropriate cells and you get this exponential increase in effectiveness of your immune system in attacking the tumor. So, you know, that's a good consequence of, of a treatment like this where you get this exponential attack of the tumor. Okay, so this is their process. And it's interesting because they use two different processes based on the, the type of cancer. And this could be a benefit, but it could also be kind of a downfall because, you know, if they have if they have eight different processes, it's like, you know, how are you going to make this a concise product for that's consistent across patients? And I'll talk about that a little bit. But basically, they take uh, blood or efferies from the patient that's to be treated or a donor, and uh, they're going to take these PBMCs, peripheral blood monocytes, and stimulate them with their proprietary mix of peptides, cytokines in this cell culture system. Uh, first one takes 10 days, and then they do a second one that takes seven days. Um, then they deliver these cells to the patient, and it's a quick infusion. And uh, yeah, and, and that's that. And then there's monitoring and things like that. But um, because there's a lot fewer cells, the monitoring requirements are a lot less. And um, they mention this in the call. So it's actually a, an order of magnitude less than the Kimrai or Yaskarta products, which is which it should also help with the, the side effects that you see. So that's a benefit. Uh, they also related to the cell number. They, they did an amended protocol to explore doing a higher dose, given that they saw such few side effects in their four times 10 to the seven cell infusion. They wanted to see, you know, at what dose are they actually going to start to see side effects in these patients. And that's definitely a good idea because they could probably get a lot more efficacy out of it if they used more cells. The process itself here, uh, just in this gr graphic, we have 17 plus days compared to the 21 to 28 days for Kimraya Scarta. You know, it's a it's a few days better. It's not a huge improvement, but it is better, and it obviously has a a big improvement when it comes to the demands on the patient for the lymphodepletion and immunosuppressive ther treatment that they need. So, so that's a benefit too. And then they also mention here that. Um, marker is able to isolate, activate, and expand any T-cell specific, specific for any segment of each antigen it targets in the unique genetic background of every patient. So this is what I, I was talking about before with the variability in treatment. So it's not clear to me if they hope to do a precision medicine type product for each individual patient and each individual cancer. It seems that they, they want to do this, but you know, they're targeting these antigens here. So for their um, two different products that they have, they're, they're targeting this WT1, Prame, Survivin, NYESO1, and MAPP product, they're targeting these guys. And the, the names of these here, you know, leukemia antigen peptide pool or mixed antigen peptide pool for the different diseases. And it, it makes sense that these should be different if the, the cancer is different because the quality of the cancer cancers can range quite a bit and uh, even between patients. So um, precision medicine is obviously a, a good way to move forward, but this was a little bit confusing to me because I'm not sure if they're going to try to have a consistent product every time or if it's going to be personalized medicine. But um, related to this was this figure here. And there was two, two graphs, I think, in their presentation. Uh, that were similar to this, and this just made me a little more confused too. So ignore the phenotype on the left, 
basically the the one on the left is confirming that these are T cells. CD3 is a T cell receptor, and then CD4, CD8, you get you get more uh, well-defined T cells. Um, but the one on the right kind of confused me. So this um, L-spot assay measures cytokines, and basically they they put the cells in these wells uh, for a period of time and then take them off and it measures the amount of cytokines that these cells produce over a certain period of time and in a, in a certain number of cells. So, you know, we're seeing big variability here in expression of these different cytokines. And I just, I'm, I'm not sure if this is what they're going for. Are these individual patient samples here? Like, I would expect that we all want these to be relatively stable if we're going to expect the same response out of each one of these pools of, of cells that they have. So, I'm not sure about this, and this could be a good thing if, like, you know, the one patient doesn't need this WT1 uh, antigen that much, but they need the surviving and, and prame. So if it's personalized medicine, then it's fine. But otherwise, this just shows me that we're going to get a big variability in patient response. All right, and then the, the data. So I pulled this because it was the nicest looking one that they put together. So they took this data from uh, the Yescarta yeah, Yescarta uh, publication in the New England Journal of Medicine, and they overlaid their data, so they get a very good uh, duration of response with their treatment. Of course, you know, there's way fewer patients in the marker treatment than there is in Kite, and um, yeah, so keep that in mind, but, you know, the duration is, is pretty obviously better here. The adverse events are also tremendously better, you know, zero grade three toxicity, zero grade three neurotoxicity, that's pretty big in my opinion. So moving forward, they're, they're looking to get this uh, indication for post-transplantation AML and MDS, which is uh, Milo, look it up. It's a, it's a dysplastic syndrome that, uh, that is related to AML, but it's a little bit different. Basically, in these patients, after they get a um, hematopoietic stem cell transplant, after they've relapsed on AML, the survival rate after five years is only 46%. And there's not a ton of options for these patients. So they're either encouraged to get another stem cell transplant or get a donor lymphocyte infusion. And with this, you know, you get 10% objective response rate, graft-versus-host disease is common, which is very negative. Um, there's other products that, that are involved in um, targeting these things using CD123 or CD33 antibodies or, uh, or CAR-T that expresses these to get um, to get T cells to react to the, the relapsed cancer. But there's a lot of side effects that come with this. So basically, this is a nice patient population that has an unmet need that marker can target and, uh, and effectively get a lot of data from. So the, the bar for these patients is, is the bar to get an improvement over the standard of care is actually quite low. So I think they have a good chance of getting good data out of this, uh, a good chance of getting positive data. So from their phase one, and they updated it at a, a recent conference, 11 out of 13 remain alive from six, six weeks to 2.5 years post-infusion, and 9 out of 13 are in complete remission, very positive. And they're going to take this and uh, do a pre-IND meeting with the FDA to get um, approval and start a pivotal phase two before the end of 2019. So uh, that's kind of where they're at right now. Um, I did want to touch on the business update they gave recently, and I, I listened to the call or I read the transcript, 
and things that stuck out to me. I, I wanted to read this, and I know I'm doing a lot of reading today, but I feel like when we can quote what the what the executives say, it's it's powerful. So with their AML study, um, they they talked about the two arms they're going to do. They're going to do an adjuvant arm and an active disease arm. The adjuvant arm being once they get the post, once they get the uh, okay, so they're diagnosed with AML, they're treated with a uh, hematopoietic stem cell transplant, and as soon as that's done, they're going to be treated with this multi-TAA therapy as an adjuvant. So they say the adjuvant arm with 60 patients, that's, that's a randomized arm, two to one, standard of care they're being compared to is observation. So you can imagine it's a very low bar in terms of beating as a comparison arm. And, you know, I tend to agree with uh, the executive, I think this was the CEO saying this, but basically if, if you don't do a hematopoietic stem cell transplant, um, after the one fails, you're, you're not left with many options. So it, it will be easy, I think, for Marker to get positive data out of this. The active disease arm is going to be single arm with patients uh, getting the donor, lymphos donor lymphocyte infusion. So that's also uh, easy to beat, in my opinion. So I think that they're going to be able to get good data out of this uh, post-transplant relapsed AML. We're not going to see a readout out of this for, for like a year, year and a half, so it might take a little while. Um, so keep that in mind. But we should see after these uh, pre-IND minutes, the submission of the IND and then approval of the IND before they actually start the trial, which should happen at the end of this year. Okay, so let's talk about the pancreatic cancer one. So the, the product is a little bit different between the AML and the pancreatic cancer uh, product that they're doing. And... The, the study that they did here, it's not target optimized. So that with the AML, they've optimized it in the sense that these antigens are present on the blood cancers. So in the pancreatic cancer, on the other hand, they haven't looked at the cancers. They haven't looked at the quality of the cancer to see what uh, what's expressed in it. So to then use that and then make the, the T cell prep that they have, um, have them express the, the the proper receptor or the proper cytokine that can attack the pancreatic cancer. So I'm not happy with this only because we know pancreatic cancer is very difficult uh, to treat. So, you know, coming into it without having a, a treatment that's relatively optimized, I think is setting yourself up for failure. They did see an enrollment spike. And uh, usually, you know, if they see that there's there's encouragement between patients and um it means, you know, it's it's a positive thing in general. So I think that's something to keep in mind, even though the abstract was rejected from ASCO. So I'll talk about that in a second. And um, they mentioned that 78 patients have been treated to date. And, uh, you know, they're, they're trying to increase the number of patients that have been treated so that, you know, they'll have this data set to present to the FDA as, a, as one big package. Um, I only counted 41 in the latest business update, but they have done a lot of trials in this uh, with this product. Okay, so I'll touch quickly on these T-cell vaccines and polystart. Uh, this, the, the vaccine idea is pretty cool. Rather than taking cells out and trying to activate them that way, you inject them with a bunch of, you inject the patient with these peptides that um, are dubbed a vaccine, and they're designed to activate different T-cell subsets that, that will prime them to attack the, the cancer. So they got a good grant from the DOD, and they're in phase two where they've seen a lot of response in breast cancer, and they have ovarian cancer uh, data that should come at the end of 2019, 
and there's interim data coming in for breast cancer. So this is a cool product. I think if they show positive data here, this this will be able to uh, to get approved as well, or you know at least move forward in the in the clinical trial data in the clinical trials. Um, but I think there's a lot more excitement around the the multi TAA. Uh, Polystart it's a it's a way to out license some method of creating more antigen protein expression. I'm just going to leave it at that because it's the least interesting in my opinion. Okay. So last thing I'm going to talk about are the things that I found most interesting about taking a look into the company. But basically, uh, I noted before the variability in preps. I think that if they start to see variability in patient responses, you know, they might want to look at deciding whether or not they want uh, a lot of variability or whether or not they have a lot of variability in the preps. And if they could clarify that for investors, that would be better. Um, I don't know if they're trying to do precision medicine or not. If they are, they should be much more forthright with that. Maybe I'm missing something and somebody can chime in. But um, I thought that this slide here with the variability um, makes me question the consistency of the results they're going to see. And, you know, some patients, they've had to give multiple treatments of multi-TAA. And without the side effects, it's not a big deal. And, you know, seemingly you can come up with these these different protocols where you give multiple treatments of the multi-TAA if it doesn't work. And if there's no side effects, there's no reason why not. And the company actually spoke about something like this on the call. And uh, you could see the FDA looking at something like this that has minimal side effects as being just an adjuvant treatment after any uh, cancer therapy. So something to think about. Um, the benefit in the time it takes, it's a moderate improvement, not huge. I think the biggest improvement is the lower cell infusion numbers they need, the reduction in adverse events, and the reduction in monitoring requirement. They talk about lower cost than CAR-T, but you know they still have this big manufacturing process that they're going to have to do to get the cells prepped. The gene editing that is involved in CAR-T I don't think is that difficult for the companies to perform now. Um, there were probably growing pains originally, but now I don't think it's a big deal. But you know, Marker's going to have their own process once they scale it, and uh, and that will be costly. But definitely, given the the reduction in adverse events and uh, monitoring and lymphodepletion, that's going to reduce costs because they won't need these certified treatment centers that um, are involved with uh, Yaskarta and Kimraya, and they might need them. So you know, we're still early, and we'll see how the how the therapies develop as as the clinical trials continue. Okay, it is a crowded space. There's other companies doing um, therapies before hematopoietic stem cell transplant in AML. So uh, Marker is specifically targeting this post-HSCT uh, group, and I think it's for them to get this good data so they can finally get this product out. And, uh, and you know, it'll increase the, the stock price and the potential for the company, and it'll drive, they'll be able to raise a lot more money once they get one FDA-approved product. So I think that's why they're going for this market. But uh, there is competition in um, relapsed AML. And this might not be a big deal because this might be the best treatment, but there there are other people out there. Uh, competitors for them otherwise are these off-the-shelf car companies, I would think. Uh, Fate, which I, I took a small position in again, Allogene, um, but markers ahead of them, so I don't think they're going to be a big deal. Um, but the off-the-shelf car companies, you know, they're going to be able to be treated on day two rather than day 17 plus. So I think, you know, in looking at the best product that the doctor wants, um, they're going to have to have to square that. So it's still early, of course, but it's something to think about. 
potential in solid tumors is huge. Um, given that they're able to get so many more antigens, uh, if, if this is enough to get success in solid tumors, you know, they could open up in the lung cancer area, which is huge. And uh, yeah, things like pancreatic cancer, which are very difficult to treat, um, it would be huge for the company and huge for these patient, this patient population if they could get an effective product here. Their abstract at ASCO for this was uh, rejected. I don't think this is a big deal at all. Whatever sell-off occurred, I think, should be bought if you're if you're an investor here. The uh, the ASCO rules said that they don't want clinical data in the type of abstract they submitted. So, you know, the Baylor College that was submitting it, they removed the data, and then ASCO just rejected their abstract, likely because it wasn't very interesting without any clinical data. So. Yeah, this doesn't mean too much for me. Uh, we'll probably get more data in Q3, I think they said. So keep an eye out for that. The The pancreatic cancer trial is interesting because they're doing three different arms. So I'm, I'm really torn on whether or not I want to invest before we see any uh, data on that because if it's if it's positive, I think the, the stock could double, at least in the short term. Um, but because they haven't target optimized it, I think the they, they kind of shot themselves in the foot. So, you know, that's people are going to argue with me on that point, but I uh, I wish they had a target optimized it. And, you know, if the trial fails, they're they're going to be able to come back and say, "Well, you know, we tried with what we had, but we didn't target optimize, so it had a chance of failure." Which is true, but I think in clinical trials you want to set yourself up for success as much as possible, and uh, they didn't do that here. And uh, one reason for that could be that they just don't have that much cash. So, 62 million in in net cash as of December 2018. They say this is enough for them to operate until the end of 2020. And the reason for that, it seems like because so many of the their uh, trials are partner sponsored. So Baylor College of Medicine um, is doing a lot of these trials, which has been a huge help of the company. And uh, and I think that you know they're going to have to raise cash if they're going to try to take any of these products further in the. Um, in clinical trials, so that's something to try and avoid if you're going to invest before they do that. You know, you want to avoid the the times where they raise cash. But between now and 2020, they're they're going to raise at some point. I assume they're going to try and get the positive pancreatic cancer data or this positive breast cancer data. And once the stock increases on that, they're going to try and raise some cash. But um, yeah, so this is something to keep in mind that there's going to be a buy the dip opportunity between now and, and 2020 if you believe in them. So in terms of catalysts, I'm trying to go quick because we're already past uh, 34 minutes, but type B meet, minutes with the FDA, uh, type B meeting, not minutes, for phase 2 AML, IND submission in Q3, which they're going to start the pivotal phase 2 in Q4. There's also going to be some of the vaccine data in breast cancer which is interim data in Q4 of 2019. So these are things to keep in mind if you're going to buy. I really think I might just buy like 10 or 20 shares in anticipation for positive data for the pancreatic cancer study, even though I gave you my reasons why I don't like it. So overall, you know, I think it's a cool company. I think they have uh, a lot of potential. Uh, if their platform can, can take off and they can get success in AML, I really think, you know, at, they're going to be able to raise money because their platform is pretty unique and innovative, and uh, the fact that they're able to um, get different antigens in their system and get these cells primed for them. So I raised my concerns on, on the things that 
I think, you know, we should be a little bit worried about, but uh, it seems like they're going to be able to make it work. And so far, they've seen a lot of positive responses in the, in the cancers they've looked at. So I, uh, I think I might buy like 10, 20 shares for now, wait it out, and then increase my position as we get more data. But this is kind of the overall breakdown for the company. And, you know, let me know what you think. Leave me a comment or, uh, or uh, a dislike or a like. Okay, so let's just talk about earnings for this week. Um, as we wrap up, this is a huge week for earnings, which might dictate the um, entire direction for the market, just given that tech is such an important part of the uh, NASDAQ and the, really the S&P 500. But um, in terms of biotech that I'm watching, Biogen reports early on Wednesday, and they're a company that I kind of want to short just to have some shorter exposure. Um, I've been I've been playing around with puts in the XBI, and I don't have enough exposure on the short side to to really help my longs when the market goes down. So I'm looking at Biogen only because I don't see any catalyst in the near term after these earnings. So they're on my list. Um, but the Dow is going to move a lot given the Boeing and Caterpillar report on Wednesday. And then, yeah, the NASDAQ is likely to move a lot. And also the S&P uh, because of Facebook, Microsoft here on, on Wednesday, Amazon after Thursday. Um, yeah, that's about it. Oh, and also, yeah, Illumina is reporting too, but any dip I see is worth buying on them. So we'll uh, we'll go with that. But, you know, keep these things in mind. I uh, try not to play earnings because it's such a, such a crapshoot. All right, so with that, uh, companies I want to look at, I added more to my list because some great people in the comments have uh, given me some suggestions, so thank you for that. I, I have started to look at Allergan. These big pharmas, though, they're such a pain with so many different revenue streams and acquisitions that it's hard to get a good feel for whether or not something like a, a negative phase three trial is going to affect them. So I don't know. I don't know if I want to finish it only because it's such a pain. CRISPR, though, uh, you know, I think they're overvalued, but they're, they're a company where I feel like news, any positive news from the FDA is going to send them soaring. So they got some fast track designation that allowed them to shoot up two or three bucks. And, you know, I think this is just going to continue until they're more fairly valued, which I think is much lower than two billion. But I don't think it's worth shorting them just given how, uh, how volatile they are. But uh, yeah, so these companies I'm, I'm thinking of looking into um, Regenerex was down quite a bit today on some news that a patient died with their uh, them and Novartis's drug. So Novartis has licensed a lot of their AABs. Um, so I think they're they're a potential company to look into in the gene therapy space. Um, yeah. Uh, another thing to keep in mind: the USA GDP for Q1 will be out this Friday. So that's definitely going to move the market as well. All right, so quick portfolio wrap-up before I send you guys on your way. Um, yeah, I added a lot. So these are all the, the purchases I made. Um, I'm down. I'm in line with the XB, or the IBB, just around like 7% for the year. Um, yeah. So notably, I bought in Madrigal, Esperion. Uh, I re-added in Fate, Unicure, Bluebird, Amarin, Global Blood, Biomarin. Um, everything in volatility shot up at the end of the week only because it was down on everything was down. Um, actually, no, that's not true. That was uh, my bad. Not everything was down, but volatility did shoot up. So it seems like investors are trying to hedge their longs by uh, buying into some puts. 
Um, I made a little bit of money on XVI puts, about 150 bucks over the week. Nothing impressive to make up for the losses I suffered here, but it did cushion it a bit. So um, this is why I'm kind of rethinking my short strategy and in hedging, and uh, I think Biogen might be a good tool for that. So, so we'll see. But I uh, I do think this is a buy the dip opportunity, and uh, I'm still trying to leave some cash on the sidelines. I only have about uh, a grand left, so uh, you know. Let's, I'm going to hope for, for a bounce here, and then I might try to uh, cut down on my positions, maybe in Illumina, just because I'm going to need more cash if, uh, if another dip continues, given the CNN town halls and everything we're going to hear about um, Medicare for all. Yeah, so with that, guys, I'm going to wrap it up. Um, thanks a lot for watching. I do appreciate it. I appreciate the comments. Uh, hit the like, subscribe button. We're at 200 subscribers, which, uh, you know, slow and steady. But uh, I'm having a good time, and uh, yeah, have a good night, guys. We'll see you next time.